we were able to see a lot of really tremendous and like goodwilled changes with the DCCC in terms of like how does staff diversity work and how are we talking about that? How does vendor and consultant diversity work and how are we talking about that? How is a place like the DTRIP that makes a lot of recommendations to campaigns on the staff that they should hire? How are they thinking about the diversity and the finance resumes that we're giving to campaigns and the campaign manager resumes we're giving to campaigns? Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. Today's guest is Ryan Thompson, who is the chief digital officer at the DCCC, the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee for the 2020 cycle. He worked his way up to that role, starting at digital membership coordinator through his six plus years at the organization. Ryan talked about how he got the role and what he learned along the way. It's a good conversation. You should listen. So after a quick word from our sponsor, my interview with Ryan Thompson of the DCCC. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? I don't mind. Hi, I'm Ryan Thompson. In 2020, I was the chief digital officer at the DCCC. That was my third complete cycle uh, at the DTRIP, and it was it was my last one too. Spent six years at the DTRIP, rising up through our digital department. When I started in March of 2015, I was the digital membership coordinator at the DTRIP. Uh, mid-cycle was promoted to the email production manager, and in the 2018 cycle, for the full cycle, I was the deputy digital director, so our departmental deputy, where at the DTRIP, we spend more than $15 million on digital direct response and growing uh, our email list. Um, so got to learn a lot about acquisition, but also the knowledge about acquisition helps me understand a lot about digital buying and, and digital persuasion as well. And before my time at the DTRIP in 2014, for three months, at the end of the cycle, I was a field organizer for Kay Hagen on the North Carolina Coordinated Campaign. Uh, and before that, uh, I was not working in politics. I think folks maybe forget about me as someone who, you know, after college was working in areas related to digital, like a lot of copywriting. I was a freelance writer. I was doing some graphic design. And all throughout college was uh, working in uh, student media. So from the time that I was 18, a lot of copy writing, a lot of copy editing from the, the field angle at the Kay Hagen campaign, the kind of writing skills and, and digital content skills in college and before college kind of, you know, amalgamated in what we were building at the DTRIP when I was there. Well, it is always a good sign when you come in at a 
fairly low level to an organization and move up quickly and sequentially through a variety of positions generally means you're doing a pretty good job there. The position from 2020, Chief Digital Officer, what are the responsibilities there? What is that role? Well, thank you for the kind words, Nathaniel. I always distill Chief Digital Officer into two things. I would I used to say, you know, we're, I'm in charge of winning, uh, protecting and expanding the House majority through the internet and technology, and I still really believe that. And then as the cycle went on and people were would ask, like, what, what differentiates a Chief Digital Officer versus a Digital Director, I would say, you know, I directly managed the senior digital team at the DTREB. I had seven direct reports uh, at the DTREB, and we had a huge digital operation last cycle. It was awesome. Our biggest team was the digital campaigns team who works directly with uh, targeted house races across the country. The second biggest team is the national digital fundraising team raising the $112 million directly for our organization, had a social team, had a five-person creative team. And one of the innovations of the cycle was having a mobilization team, which was our digital organizing team um, that lived reported directly to me, but also reported to our field department. I hired the the woman who went on to be our digital director on the DCCC independent expenditure last cycle as well. So did a lot of managing the senior team and together we built the biggest department at the DTRIP last cycle. It was a 33 department team on the coordinated side. I was the 33rd. And if I remember correctly, the IE team had about 12 people. Um, so, you know, nearly 50 of us digital staffers at the DCCC last cycle. It was a great, 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 great cycle. <laughs> I read that you enjoyed it. Is that in retrospect or was it painful along the way? What was the cycle like for you? It's not in retrospect. It's fun being maybe a full quarter out of my, like, completing my big tenure at the D-Trip. It's fun during it. And I, a lot of my fondest memories, Nathaniel, are from 2015. I always tell people, I was like, man, I love that 2016 cycle. I was a, you know, since I didn't have direct reports, I, I didn't wake up in the middle of the night thinking about how my staff were feeling. And, you know, when, when, it, when I was in, uh, a digital assistant or a digital membership coordinator in 2015, like you kind of worry about your day and DC was very new to me. I had uh, lived in Jacksonville all of my life and lived in North Carolina for the three months for the campaign um, and then moved to the DC area. It was fun having a party committee job in a brand new city and the camaraderie that comes with being junior staff at a party committee is very strong. I do equate it to how everyone feels about their campaign team, but like the, you know, 2016, 18, 2020 D-Trip staff are like my family. They're my professional network. They're my friend network in DC uh, and across the country now too. So it is fun. It's fun in the moment. 2020 specifically to answer your question directly, you know, when you're the departmental director and you're on the senior leadership team uh, at a ginormous, you know, 300 plus million dollar organization party committee, there is a lot of work stress that exists with that level of caliber of job. Um, But I remember even during the pandemic, I just remember we'd have like a busy day and I'd be like, this is fun. Like, I think it's always helpful in these political campaign jobs, electoral uh, campaign jobs to like, is it still fun? And you hear athletes say this a lot. You hear kind of performers and entertainers say like, 
I will stop doing it when it's no longer fun. And I was at the, during the 2020 cycle, I was like, you know what? We had a stressful day, but it was really fun. Like we're, we're raising so much money. We're doing cool things with uh, digital organizing and learning a lot about disinformation and we're having a packed day, but our team is awesome and strong and it's fun. So I, I would say it's genuine and, and I felt it during the moment. Um, certainly the stress increases as you level up every cycle and, and get promoted, but in my heart, I knew that we were we were having a blast and it was a good time, even in the busiest moments. How does a chief digital officer fit in? Are there other people at that level who have tech as part of their portfolio? What other elements at that level are technology focused? So by the time that I was wrapping up at the D-Trip, we had hired um, a chief technology officer for the 2022 cycle, which is exciting. A woman, Erica Baker, who is amazing. When I was leaving, there, there were people who had tech. And then the 2018 cycle, we had a small but mighty software development department. They were the ones kind of who were the HTML experts and building tools for the digital team and, and the organization as a whole. In 2018, 2022, the tech responsibilities were shared. I would say in, in 2020, what was interesting is um, our analytics team uh, had tech that they were using and you know that the digital team was taking advantage of as well. Like the field team was starting to use tech with the advent of tools like Call Time AI, like all of a sudden the finance and the candidate fundraising team is using tech as well. So at an organization like the DTRIP, we have a different structure than the DNC, but at the DTRIP, you know, digital chief digital officer taking the lead on tech, but other folks, uh, senior staff at the chief digital officer level, departmental director level, were also working with a little bit of tech. I would say that the digital department had the biggest tech stack because there are so many different tools that we use to, to fundraise and track fundraising and then track the ads programs that we're running in-house. How much did the political ups and downs affect you? I mean, you had... Uh, 2016, very colored by a Trump victory. 2018, sort of get back some foothold to federal power. 2020, a little disappointing, I think, perhaps on the House side in terms of not expanding the majority, having rolled back a little bit. How does that affect you and your team? My time at the DTRIP, I remember it a little bit differently than my time on the uh, Kahagan campaign. Is like at the DTRIP, because there's such a huge fundraising component and such a huge, you know, like digital communications component that you do remember all the ups and downs because they are moments in history. Um, and because we had a huge moment in history, fundraising went well. Or because there was, you know, people were less excited about the house, like fundraising was less strong. We would talk to staff throughout the cycle, uh, especially in 2020, just about, you know, the uniqueness of departments like the digital department and the comms department the folk and the research department, the folks who have to be reading the news all day and just how much that kind of weighs on you. The joke that I tell about the 2018 cycle specifically is like, you know, like even though we were raising money like there were moments i am not too shy to say this there were moments where we were writing email copy or list rental copy like through tears right like trump is doing all these bad things of the the muslim ban and the transgender military ban and the house vote to take away health care and uh brett kavanaugh obviously was a huge moment in the on year and the kids in cages so when i think about 2018 i was like that was like 
every day was so sad and so, you know, like sobering and it weighed on me a lot and the, the, the team a lot, but I also remember the happy moments. And I, I was telling people when I was wrapping up the D trip, it's like, I also remember when like Connor Lamb won and we released that press release before it had been called by the AP. Cause we knew through data that we were going to win that race. I think about when we didn't get boxed out in 2018 of the primaries in California or we're hugging and dancing. I got us all together to be like, we did the thing. Um, so there were those big historic moments that did uplift us, even in the Trump years, even in the kind of Republican supermajority uh, cycle of, of 2018. But certainly, you know, even through times like, after Pulse and and how difficult that was for a lot of us, maybe all of us, um, but then the inspiring moment of of uh, Congressman John Lewis um, having his sit in on the House floor and and us as the digital team kind of reacting in real time and and using it as a as a uh, opportunity to corral our list around how amazing of a leader John Lewis was and how important it is to you know elect Democrats to the House and kind of put an end to. Uh, Speaker Ryan's, you know, refusal to bring gun violence prevention bills to the House floor. I think even in the the troubling times, it's what my old boss Julie Ager would say a lot is like it's 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 a bad news story, but it's good for fundraising. So again, like a lot of times in the Trump years, awful news, but we would just raise so much money, leave work like exhausted, but having done your job well, and that is an interesting thing for digital staff to uh, to wrap their their minds about. And I certainly felt that when I wasn't the one being managed going through it, when I was the manager of the thirty two people, uh, that it, it does weigh on on folks a lot. What advice do you give to a congressional campaign? What do you want to see them have for their digital operation? So much. Well, I think we could distill it down to two of the big things, which is in being willing to invest in their digital fundraising program, um, since we know that that pays off so well throughout the cycle, or especially in a key grassroots fundraising moment for candidates throughout the cycle. And while and while the the digital regionals give that advice, um, I think they do caveat that the dynamics of every race and every Republican opponent or every uh, Democratic incumbent is is so different, and so you know it's not a blanket like put a million dollars into your digital fundraising program um, within your first quarter, and you're just going to be the best fundraiser in your state, right? Uh, it is more nuanced than that, but that is something we push for because uh, until the advent of digital regionals at the D trip in 2017 for the 2018 cycle, uh, the D trip really hadn't had a singular voice being like, invest in your digital fundraising program. And and our party wasn't really doing that as a whole. Lessons learned from 2016, it was a big part of of the strategy in in 2018 across the whole party. Um, And the second piece is, especially for congressional races, kind of educating people and educating congressional campaign managers a little bit more about the, the need for digital persuasion and where that fits in. What I loved about my 2020 job is thinking about across the, the state, like how are people using their digital persuasion budgets in these, you know, really like tight $3 million, $4 million congressional campaign media uh, spends. How are folks using the digital efficiently and what recommendations can we give to campaigns through 
our digital regionals um, to to have a smart media plan with such limited resources. So those were the two biggest areas. There's other areas too of like recommendations that folks make to candidates when they launch, um, kind of you know best practices on on social media. I noticed that throughout the two years that we had digital regionals and, a, and an even bigger digital campaign services team uh, in our department that we that the battles that we were um, fighting more often were were acquisition spending and, and digital persuasion spending. There's so many people who care about every close congressional race. There are awful lot of eyes on on any race that's in doubt. And there's a lot of people working on the campaigns from independent expenditures to all, all of the kind of progressive allies. How would you say the DCCC fits into that whole arena in a congressional race? I always felt the DCCC, much like the DNC and the DSCC and, and our friends at the other national party committees, is like, it is the... For better or for worse, it is the official group in D.C. that is trying to win the race. I always found that as a helpful framing just within myself, but also within our department. Trying to control the House of Representatives. We're trying to control the House of Representatives and trying to to win it. But we're the official we're the official group that does that. And so we have so many ally groups and so many um, partners who have a you know have a wider message that where House candidates fit into it. I think about Emily's list. You know, we are Speaker Pelosi's campaign to expand and protect uh, her House majority. And so I think that that is always a framing that I would use with myself and I was a junior staffer and then with my team as I as I was growing in my career at the DTRIP. And to me, it still remains true. Right. And I think that that is a helpful framing, especially when you in 2017, we saw so many like flip the house groups and, and you know, Groups that we partnered well with, like Swing Left, um, but just trying to trying to have folks in the ecosystem understand that, like, this is the official group. This is like the you know the party leadership in D.C. This is their group that they funnel money through, that they put their staff in, their political staff in to make sure that we're working with campaigns and winning these races. To that end, I think it's a, a valuable part of part of the ecosystem. If you have a successor at this job and you are called upon to give them advice about how to do it, which is very common, right? What would you tell them? What makes a good chief digital officer at the D-Trip? So I always tell people, like, after my first four years at the D-Trip, I stopped learning new digital skills in the last two years when I was the chief digital officer. That was people management. What is so interesting about, you know, me being the one who used to write the emails and set up the emails and then checklist the emails and hit send on the green button and write the acquisition plan. As I went through the cycles and other people were doing those jobs that I was managing or hired people who were managing the people who were doing those jobs, it was all about people. And really, I like woke up, uh, especially during the pandemic, but even when we were in the office, I would wake up and I'm like, what can I do to make sure everyone is coming to work today? And then like right before I would fall asleep, I would like think about like, is everyone going to come to work tomorrow? Like, are they happy? We had a very busy day. I see that emails are still flying and wickers are still flying. Folks are still working. So the best advice that I can give is, is 
managing people well and, and listening to uh, the team and being supportive of the team uh, because the the team is you know I always say in the in the digital department especially as I got more senior like there really isn't an entry level role the folks who are the junior staff usually come to it with some type of real experience in writing or in digital or in ads buying that make them qualified for you know the salary that we pay the digital strategists but also just not not having the title of digital assistant, right? Like they're, they're plus that. So there are folks who do understand their profession and, and sure, you know, they're still growing and needs to be fine-tuned for house races or for the D-trip or for, you know, learning some of the concepts that they didn't enter the committee with whether it's digital organizing, whether it's more about digital fundraising, whether it's digital ads, which is still so new to a lot of party committee staff. Since the people are the ones doing the work and and bring the professional skills to it, managing the people well is how you get the outcome. And it's certainly how I think we were able to raise more than the cycle before all three cycles that I was was at the D-Trip. You're probably only one of several entry-level people in 2015. What do you think the qualities you had that you of all them are the one that ends up as the chief? That's an awesome question. <laughs> I, I will say one of the strengths I think I bring to electoral, political, professional world is is the the kind of like natural digital skills that happened before I started working in politics. And so like all of the years of copywriting, the degrees in English and, and journalism, the years of freelance writing, the, the jobs where I was a graphic designer and just freelance content creation are helpful because I think a lot of folks come into jobs being like, I can write well and I worked on the Hill or I can write well and I worked at another, you know, uh, adjacent digital electoral or digital advocacy group. I think what, what I was able to bring into it um, and in hindsight, the joke that I always tell is like, you know, I was hired at the, the lowest level in our department, but maybe that wasn't right at the time because I did have a lot of digital skills behind my belt, but they weren't in politics. So it's harder to make that connection. And so when I, when I got to be a hiring manager, that is something that I looked for. I'm like, you know, a lot of people come into this with requisite skills was a part of my, my learning for, for many, many years um, and work for many years after college too. But I think, you know, I was not introduced to those concepts for the first time. The concepts that I was introduced to the first time as a digital membership coordinator was was what ActBlue is and how that works and what are the machinations of a party committee and how does that work and what does every department do versus like, you know, I understood people writing emails to solicit donations uh, to help a campaign or help an organization. And I understood the HTML piece and that was a big benefit. By having such a great cycle in 2016, in my 2017, 18 role as a deputy digital director, that's when I learned a lot about digital ads and and digital buying and a lot of the new digital, a lot of the new concepts that I didn't experience my first cycle uh, because our department in 16 had such a narrow focus on email fundraising to help the DTRIP and to help candidates um, and grew to a more holistic digital operation the last four years that I was there, particularly the cycle that I was the chief digital officer. My guess is that the developed expertise before and during played a big role. But, you know, having hired a lot of people and promoted people in my own life, there's something 
I, I think about your personality, at least as it comes through in this interview, the enthusiasm and the, the engagement that you have with the subject matter. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's part of it too. Thank you for the compliment. The funny story that I have that about Nathaniel is when uh, Brandon English and Julia Ager and Brian Krebs offered me the job in 2015, I called them and I was like, you know, they say the line a lot of people say, and they were like, we talked to your references and we like, we're going to offer you this job. And I asked them directly, I was like, hey, like, what do my references say that, you know, gave gave that edge to for you to want to offer me this job? I love to ask people questions. And they directly said, they're like, yeah, we called your references. They said, you are easy to get along with and that was a big part of our decision and so, <laughs> so i guess there is a through line in the thing <laughs> yeah well I, I it does make a difference you always want to work with people who i mean you're creating a team you want when you're hiring i'm sure you take that into account right yeah. you don't want the grumpy person who's throwing their elbows around you want the the person who's gonna bring everybody up right right Absolutely. And I think, you know, a lot about managing teams, try to keep workplaces and and campaign teams very positive, I think fall into the type of management style that people talk about all the time is like someone who is, you know, gives the positive reinforcement so much that like when there is a real serious moment, you know, versus I mean, the types of managers who are grumpy all the time or apathetic all the time. So you don't know if you're doing well, you don't know if this is like a moment to improve. I think that is just a a strength in management. And I I also want to plug that at the DTRIP last cycle, there was a lot of investment in um, improving staff's management skills through our friends at the management center. And I found that invaluable. And I wish there were a way to make those great trainings like even more cost-effective for campaign staff or other folks in our industry because there are practices that I learned um, through these management center trainings that I would implement with my team and then hear like such great feedback with. And in my mind, I would think like, oh, I only started doing that because we had an awesome training and I, you know, got this idea and was inspired by the training to do this. Um, And so I think it would be so helpful in our industry if more people were going through trainings like that. Um, Because it does, you know, I think in, in electoral organizations, you lose the people management piece and how that's a big part of being a departmental director or or a campaign manager or a senior staff at a party committee, because a lot of it is like, how good are you in your specific discipline, you know, when it comes to these electoral and advocacy organizations versus like, how strong are you as a people manager? And where is the storyline of you becoming a stronger manager? And how did you get that? And I will say, you know, kudos to the GTRIP for, for, for having us go through mandatory trainings to help us improve our management style. Um, I thought that was invaluable and always heard good feedback from, from my team. I've talked to the founder of the management center and I've looked at the book that they had a number of years ago. I don't know if they have something subsequent. Can you give me a specific example of something that you learned in a training that you applied that you thought got good feedback? The best thing that um, I learned at the Management Center, which this is a free resource, is uh, the MOCA chart. M is A is approver, 
Um, C is consultant. H is helper. I feel really bad that I don't remember what M stands for. Um, but it's it's a very helpful grid, and we we implemented it at the D trip on a number of huge projects to be like we need to really understand like who is the man. Oh, M is manager. Like who is the manager of this project? Who are all the people helping? Who are the folks who are consultant? And like who is the approver of this big piece of work that we're working on together? That's cross departmental or even interdepartmental or inside of a team. Um, so I would give the management center all the credit of recreating MOCA to apply to or political organizations and, uh, and issue advocacy organizations, something that works for our industry. Like I think one of the best benefits of the management center is that it's for, you know, like uh, labor and uh, political campaigns and advocacy organizations. So they understand our work. Uh, versus just kind of any management consultant might be able to or might not be able to. But the Mocha grid was very helpful for us. Uh, and we, we implemented it and we felt better about it. I'm going to continue using it and still do. <laughs> Having done some stuff with technology in the political space in an earlier time in my career, um, I can't help but ask you about like what tools you guys used internally and tried to get campaigns to use or saw being used that you thought were made a difference or were helpful? Well, so there are a couple of different things. In our tech stack, just based off of the, at the D-Trip, the digital consultants that we had have their own tech that makes that that's really helpful for for our digital fundraising program so wanted to you know without giving away too much about the proprietary tech that these different digital agencies make uh those tools are very helpful for clients and it's great to be a big client at the dtrib since there's so much money in and out that you're able to shape a lot of uh agencies and firms tools to fit your needs so i wanted to plug that the biggest things that we would offer to campaigns came from the mobilization side and the so the digital and organizing intersection, now acquired by NGP, but found Mobilize to be a very useful tool um, and found on the um, kind of voter contact side, found tools like Outvote, which is now called Impactive, to be very helpful. I'm a big fan of, of Impactive. Uh, you know, you're able to run texting programs. There's also a really great relational program. If you have a big enough team, use it as a really great content distribution platform as well, um, which we know that there's so many digital organizing tools that do one or two of those things, and Impactive has all of those three in one. And I think that they're continuing to build out even more excellent tools. Last cycle, our mobilization director and, and me and other folks on our team wanted to make sure that the tools that we were recommending to campaigns and the tech stack, especially when it came to voter contact, did take into care that that there are a lot of people in our democratic big tent and, and that the tools need to make uh, multilingual organizing really easy and seamless for campaigns and for, for mobilization directors and field directors. And so any tool that was folding in different Spanish components was really great. We always encouraged our uh, teams to use ActBlue, even though the 3.95% processing fee can be a lot for, for house candidates to 
uh, feel nervous about, um, you know, found that ActBlue has just like dominated the ecosystem in a way and that that ActBlue universe and the tool has been perfected, that it's really helpful for all of our party to use one tool. And when I was at the D-Trip, like I think about a lot of the, the tools in ActBlue now, uh, I'm like, I remember when we had the meeting with ActBlue and suggested that, and then now it is a tool that I think folks or a feature that folks don't really think about. And speaking of multilingual, I mean, I remember the D-Trip uh, last cycle, we were one of the the many campaign voices wanting the, the Spanish language feature. Now uh, in ActBlue, they've built out Spanish language templates, which is just incredible. It's fun having a role where uh, because you're such a big client and because you're working with, you know, your battlefield is 80 races or in 20, uh, in 2018, I think it was like 111 races. Uh, our battlefield was, um, that, that a lot of the, the tech folks in the industry give you the leverage to say like, what do you want and what do your campaigns want? We want to listen to you and, and build this tool to your needs. It is a privilege, but helps you, you know, become even further of a leader because it's like you and your team making the recommendations, uh, and requesting the product updates that these, tools are are implementing there are like literally scores of different political tech tools many of which don't get adopted very broadly how do you keep track of that to make recommendations do you survey the campaigns and ask them what's working do you do that informally do you have like a list of things that are recommended how does that work that's interesting. It works two ways. So the digital campaigns team always kept a, a list of kind of every every digital thing and tech thing that you could offer a campaign, um, whether it's digital firms that specialize in one area of digital or the other, so persuasion or websites or uh, digital uh, acquisition or email and texting, um, but also... What's fun about Chief Digital Officer at the D-Trip or Senior Digital Staff at the D-Trip is the same tech vendors who are pitching digital firms are also pitching party committees directly. It's such a great part of the ecosystem because you're like, they'll talk to you directly and they're like, also, do you have an agency partner? Like, we should talk to them too. What is great is that a lot of the tech vendors, I remember it very acutely um, starting in 2017 and, and sort of never stopping and would proactively reach out to us. And they're like, we have a meeting upstairs at the DNC. We're going to go visit like our, you know, these three firms tomorrow. And so that being, being at that level is very helpful uh, just because the, the platforms are coming to you and they kind of, they can guess the convention of a DCCC, you know, email address and, and proactively reach out to you even though you haven't met them and you take the meeting and, and just suss out a lot of different software. So I would say, you know, in 2018 cycle, we met with a lot of tech vendors in 2019 uh, and 2020, but more so 2019 before the pandemic, uh, sat down with more than I even used or could recommend to campaigns when you have that chief digital officer moniker and folks are like, you're the person I talk to because you're going to help us, you know, gain access to the campaigns and, and gain the D-Trip business. But certainly the fact that, you know, the tech vendors reach out to party committees directly and, and senior digital staff of the party committees directly helps with us being able to independently make recommendations and, and try out new tools, but also, you know, not sort of rely on what are our digital agencies and consultants kind of recommending to us because we independently are also taking the, the same meetings. I mean, you mentioned the DNC, 
you have these counterparts at the DNC, at the DSCC, the DLCC, the DGA, et cetera. How much did you interact with other chief digital officers or their equivalents? Are you learning together or is it kind of siloed by committee? This is an awesome question, Nathaniel. This was, this is a bragging point throughout the cycle in 2020. I think in 2020, we, uh, no shade to all of our predecessors, but did the best job at getting the digital leadership of all of the party committees. I mean, from DNC to DAGA together uh, and having conversations and fighting certain battles together or partnering on certain proactive, positive things uh, together. And that was so unique. And so I, you know, as much as I felt like I was working with people, the digital team internally, I was talking to Patrick Stevenson and Katie Card, uh, DNC and and DSCC respectively, um, all the time. And I was talking to Laura Carlson at the DGA all the time. And there was a lot of collective, again, battles and, and advocacy that we all did together that, you know, standing strong as like, the party committees is better than one party committee is asking for this, you know, this other party committee is not asking for it um, and trying to get buy-in and trying to work with a lot of folks outside of the party committee structure, but still in the electoral structure as being like, right now you're on a call with like, like three or four or five of the senior digital talent in the Democratic Party committee structure. One, isn't that a wow factor? But two, like, this is how serious we are about this issue. And so that was amazing. I also want to make a plug that in 2019, the part that wasn't the pandemic of the 2020 cycle, because we did this intentional, like, let's get digital leadership at party committees together more often. Um, we also brought our teams together. Um, and that was really uh, special for me. We had one, one was it just one time, big meeting at the DNC office where all six party committees bought their digital teams, of course, like, me and the DNC and the DSCC of these big teams and the other party committees at the time had smaller teams, but got to see everyone together and be like, and I remember Patrick Stevenson, the chief mobilization officer at the DNC being like, everyone in this room, we're going to go around and we're going to say our titles and you should talk to the folks who have a similar title to you because you're doing that job, but for a different part of the ballot. So that was a special moment. We did a project that happened after that meeting that was one year, one team. And we, I think for the last year of the campaign, so November, gosh, third of 2019, all the way until, uh, all the way until day zero of 2020, a long Twitter thread that was in order of the ballot. So it would be the DNC, the DSCC, the DTRIP, the DGA, the DLCC, and then DAGA, um, a really long Twitter thread. And I'm really proud of our social media directors at all of the six committees getting together to, to do that. But that was a part of our, you know, intentional work to bring digital leadership across party committees and digital staff across party committees together. That, that was a big accomplishment that doesn't sit on my resume, but that made a difference in kind of the culture of digital staff at party committees. And there are very real wins that we were able to accomplish for our party committees and for our party and for our campaigns because of that. Another thing about that relationship too, we fought a lot of the disinformation battles and a lot of the ads platform battles as a collective, publicly and privately, but a lot of it publicly. And that was a fruit of, of me, again, working with my colleagues who are senior digital 
directors at the different party committees, um, having that relationship, you know, we're like, we would be like, we're, you know, we're upset with Google. Like, do you guys want to get in on this? It's like, yeah, we do. Like, let's, let's hit Facebook for this together in a release. And it was really fun to see chief digital officers like drive a press strategy because of how much, you know, winning these campaigns online and through tech uh, is important to committees and, and, and modern day campaigning. That was a great product of, of having that joint effort and that, that camaraderie among the, the digital talent. I'm glad to hear that. That's, that sounds really positive. I kind of got a sense of how you, you know, had a staff and sort of the pieces that were below you. How was it to, to work with the people above you? Like, what does the DCCC look like if you're chief digital officer and you're looking up at executive director or what are they calling it nowadays? Some places it's CEO or how is the place run? How ought it be run better? Great question. Love talking about this. So yes, chief digital officer, the two roles, uh, more senior than that are the executive director and the chair, which is great for digital to report to the ED and, and have the word chief and officer in the title. How we operated in 2020 is like, you know, we formed a senior leadership team. And so there are often, I think in the context of the senior leadership team, uh, which met every day. 2019 in person, 2020 on Zoom every day at 9 a.m., you know, making strategies for our organization as a whole. And I think, you know, another maybe invisible part that isn't necessarily on my resume or maybe clear to to staff in the organization or, or campaign staff outside of the organization is just how much of being senior staff and being someone the executive director is in meetings with and the chairwoman uh, is in meetings with, like, just how much of input I was giving about organization-wide things, about the philosophy of campaigning-wide things that were outside my lane and inside my discipline. Um, and I think that is the best part of, you know, as as digital folks kind of, uh, digital and tech folks kind of talk about seats at the table and being able to advocate for digital, I always found because we had advocated for digital in cycles past, when I was in the chair, I was a, a senior black man at our organization, in our party, right? And that was more where I was coming from, from a lot of my perspective in, in those meetings too. Working with chairs is so great because I did not come up through the digital campaigns department or team. I came up through the national digital fundraising team and so did not work directly with principals a lot. So if I'm talking to members um, and I'm like a junior mid-level staffer at the D-Trip, uh, it's because they're really awesome members who just pop in at the D-Trip all the time and you get to talk to them and make those relationships. But so, so in my role as chief digital officer, you know, directly working with the chairwoman, my bragging point is I was hired by the chairwoman uh, after a really awesome meeting with her in December of 2018. It, it was great to kind of start to understand principal management and kind of talk to her about these more advanced concepts in digital and tech um, and distill that down to a very, very, very busy member of Congress who is also in a competitive district, who is also um, the chair of, of a $300 million organization. <laughs> Um, so, so that's what that looks like. My conversations with Lucinda Gwynn, who was, who was our executive director last cycle, were, you know, a, a lot about digital and, and different uh, programmatic check-ins, but also was a lot about was a lot about people management and staff culture and shows the, the great leadership from her. But also, I think, just shows kind of like, you know, 
when I was deputy digital director, me and the chief digital officer, that's like old Julie Ager, uh, we're just talking about digital. Like it was just digital conversations. And that really does shift when you're senior staff at a national party committee, because it's more than just digital that you're talking about. And our comms director is talking about kind of the news of the day and how our posture might be. And like, I'm in that meeting as well, making recommendations. And, you know, we tweak things based off of recommendations of all of the senior leadership team uh, and their perspectives and their opinions. And so, you know, I can't take credit for all of those wins because it it would probably look too braggy, but I think there's... The, the thing on the resume and on the LinkedIn that's like, what are your accomplishments as, as you know, in, within digital? And then I think about, wow, what was my, you know, ability to be um, impactful in a lot of meetings that were small, um, that, you know, sat in a lot of rooms those last two years of the D trip. And if I had not been there, there would have been different outcomes leaving those meetings, right? Uh, and so that that stands out to me in terms of in terms of working with, you know, very busy executive directors and very busy chairs of of the D trip as a senior member of the team. Well you you called yourself a, like a senior black member. There was, if you remember, quite some news made about diversity somewhere around 2019 at the D Triple C and there was a lot of changes. How did you see what happened with diversity and DCCC staffing and consultants and trying to improve, I think, the way the DCCC was handling such matters? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, it hopefully isn't a shock to people. I was very vocal throughout my time as being the chief digital officer to advocate for diversity, knowing that when we talk about the my friends who are the other party committee digital leaderships, I was I wasn't the only person of color, but I was the only black one my two years as chief digital officer. You spend so much time like in life <laughs> being the only person in class who looks like you, or like the only person in this college class looks like you, or the only person on your swim team who looks like you. Um, and I just find that I bring the diversity perspective very organically and walk through life as a black man in places that are frankly diverse, like not all black or not all white, like have a, where I'm from in Jacksonville, like my godmom is Filipina. Um, one of my mom's best work friends um, is Puerto Rican, was making me tostones and I was in elementary school and that's how I learned about Puerto Rican culture. Um, and so just got so many blessed opportunities throughout life as a young kid to know that the world doesn't just look like me and it doesn't just look like one thing or the other. So when it came to, you know, being senior at the D trip, I wanted to bring that perspective. And, you know, in 2019, when we had Netroots in person, I was on a panel about how can party committees retain um, and keep growing digital staff of color or talent of color in general, and was talking a lot about that during that time as well. And ultimately, you know, really found a lot of joy in that we were able to see a lot of really tremendous and like good world <laughs> changes with the DCCC in terms of like how does staff diversity work and how are we talking about that? How does vendor and consultant diversity work and how are we talking about that? How is a place like the DTRIP that makes a lot of recommendations to campaigns on the staff that they should hire? How are they thinking about the diversity and the finance resumes that we're giving to campaigns and the campaign manager resumes we're giving to campaigns? Definitely saw a shift from when I was a junior staffer in 2015 to when I was leaving 
after my full six years in, in March of 2021. And, you know, seeing the way that the 2022 cycle D trip was very intentionally building um, diversity into, you know, how they are, what changes we were making to job descriptions the last quarter that I was there and how are we recruiting talent and just like slowing down in the hiring process a little bit more to make sure that, you know, hiring managers aren't hiring from their network, but are expanding their networks to talk to more people to figure out who those people are. So it's very important to me. I, you know, I always say like, it, it was helpful to me as a, a black man who was junior in my department in 2016, but for for most of the off year, um, my old boss, Brandon English, uh, who ended his nine years at the D-Trip as a deputy executive director uh, at the D-Trip, um, you know, being able to see another black man like at senior staff as a senior staff member at the D-Trip who reported to the executive director, like made me more bought in to say yes every cycle that I was offered to stay. And so... My goal for staff at the D-Trip was like, I want everyone to see that. And that would help us retain more staff at party committees um, because we just know at political organizations, at party committees, like the kind of two-year cycle doesn't benefit uh, because you're losing the institutional knowledge. And especially at a place like the D-Trip, like all that is is institutional knowledge. Like the political strategy or the digital strategy or the comm strategy is one thing, but then understanding how the organization works, its relationship with the Hill, its relationship with uh, the campaigns that it directly works with is like 95% of your job. Once you learn that, you, you coast the rest of your time there. So, you know, long-winded way of saying like life experience brought me to the conversations that we were having um, at the D-Trip and, and look like, frankly, we, because our caucus is so diverse, because in 2018, uh, we were able to tap into the, the wave and elect such incredibly diverse candidates um, that we were able to have those types of conversations. And so, you know, proud to see us grow because of the folks that we were electing and because of the caucus that we were, you know, working to reelect. And then it, diversity conversations, of course, came around again, kind of two other times that I was at the D-Trip um, after 2019, which would be the George Floyd and Breonna Taylor movement of, of summer of 2020. And then toward the, you know, because of the pandemic, kind of the conversations we are having about Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders in our in our country and, and the rise in hate crimes because of uh, pandemic fear and pandemic paranoia, uh, just being able to see us as an organization have those conversations with staff, with the senior leadership, needing to paw, you know, like, I think people may forget that there were very real days where the conversations weren't like, what's every department doing today and let's move on. There were days where we were like, the goal and agenda of this singer meeting is to talk about George Floyd. So I think a lot of progress is made as people uh, are addressing these these race issues, these gender issues, um, these, these very different issues, um, more so at progressive workplaces and, and campaign organizations. You know, I think it is helping people kind of see themselves in the profession longer um, and helping themselves like make the connection with the incredibly diverse candidates and the, all the women candidates that inspire them, making the connection that like, okay, my organization or my campaign team also has the values that I have. Ryan, what's next for you? 
Um, what's next for me? Well, <laughs> I am uh, already on a very, very, very exciting campaign. <laughs> I wish I could break the news here. Um, having fun with that. That is my 2022 cycle role. Broadly, though, I really hope to. I really hope to do two things: like continue to be seen as a leader in in the electoral part of our party um leader as in terms of like who is someone who like can do their discipline well but like is great to work with and for that is important to me and then i also just really truly love trying to you know make sure that we're staying modern and both innovating uh the way that our party is is running campaigns continues to be a big focus only because i think a lot of the celebrated wins whether it's the dtrip in 2018 whether it's the biden team whether it's uh john ossoff and, and Raphael warnock and mark kelly and John Hickenlooper is is kind of like what are people doing to to connect with voters the way that we talk to voters in 2021 and in 2022 and what success are they are they seeing and how can more campaigns take advantage of that success um, continues to be a focus and so um, you know I think over the next several years and and couple cycles folks will continue to see fingers crossed, but we'll continue to see me pursue those, those two kind of philosophical areas. Is there a question I didn't ask you that, that you wish I had? I truly thought you were going to ask what was kind of the best day on the, at the D-trip, what was kind of the worst. I think I told you a lot of my highlights and a lot of the struggles uh, in 2018. Best day wasn't winning the house in 2018. Best day really was when we saw so much success messaging on John Lewis's sit-in. And I just remember like, that was such a rough sh- summer because there were black shootings. There there was, uh, or police violence. There was a uh, pulse. And just to see, you know, John Lewis and Chris Murphy kind of take a stand that June was really, 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 really inspiring and powerful and kind of is, you know, whenever I hear people talk about how they got into democratic politics because of that, that summer and that big pulse moment, I'm always inspired. I'm always feel I'm very connected to those people. And then, you know, I think some of the tougher days, again, always had to deal with, like, is is staff happy? Is staff happy? It wasn't like, oh, no, I'm in a meeting because we lowered the digital projection because the news is in our favor. Like, there were, there were tough days, but I think the hardest were certainly, you know, every time, I can count them, but the times I would wake up at 3 a.m. and be like, is everyone good? Like, are people going to show up to work tomorrow? And how can we like improve our culture, whether it's in our department and, and how, how might our great departmental culture inspire our organization to give political staff a good experience? I'm very focused on political staff and know that these are very dedicated people who drop their lives for candidates and causes. And, and I think, you know, if more folks focused on making sure that those people were happy in, in their workplaces and in their roles, I think we would win more races more consistently. <laughs> Otherwise, you asked me some great questions that I wasn't expecting that I love to answer. <laughs> well, Ryan, it's, it's actually been really fun to talk to you and I appreciate the, the time. Anything else you want to say? That's all that I wanted to say. Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Thank you for thinking of me. That was Ryan Thompson. Ryan was at dtriplecdtcc.org. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.